Hello and welcome to mini episode 172 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have six spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from March the 4th, 2022. And story number one comes from Melina. At one point, my partner and I had two Rhodesian Ridgebacks. They were the most intuitive dogs we ever had. There are many stories in the 10 years that we had them. But the one that I would like to share with you is about Kizzy, our female. After Cola, our male from the same litter, died of cancer, we set up a dog bed in the bedroom. Previous to that time, Kizzy and Cola slept on the couch in the living room. Neither dog liked being alone, thus the dog bed. For those who are unfamiliar with the breed, Rhodesian Ridgebacks are rather large. Kizzy was £85 and Cola was £95. That's 38kg and 43kg respectively for all you metric folks. Kizzy was diagnosed with cancer in her nasal passages about a year after Cola died. We had about a month with her before it was clear she was in a lot of pain and beginning to have noticeable muscle wasting. I work at a veterinarian hospital as a technician, so I see what happens when people wait too long. We made the difficult decision to euthanize her. Kizzy rarely gave kisses, but that day as I spooned her from behind and the vet knelt down to inject her last medication, she licked his face. Years later, I still cry remembering that day. We follow a spiritual path that teaches that our loved ones visit us to make sure we will be okay after they die and have felt the presence of our family members who have passed before, but we were not expecting what came next. You see, Kizzy loved sleeping on the bed with us and would ask to come up on the bed by putting her head on the foot of the bed. Then when we invited her, she was a very polite dog, she would jump up on the bed and lay down between us. That night we went to bed feeling very, very sad. We talked a bit but mostly lay quiet with our feelings. Then we felt Kizzy's head on the foot of the bed. We looked at each other as if to say, Did you feel that? Then my partner said, Okay, Kizzy, load up. We felt her get on the bed and we knew she was checking on us to make sure we would be all right. I'm not going to talk about this story too much because I'll end up repeating things that I've said countless times, but losing pets is so hard. They become a part of the family. It's a really big deal to lose a pet. And there are so many stories of pets that come back just to make a little nod to the fact that they're okay. And I'm here for that. I want to know that our pets are okay when they go. And story number two comes from Jamie. Ever since I could remember, I've been obsessed with the paranormal. I'm talking 10 years old, sitting on my mom's desktop computer, listening to demonic Ouija board story times. Yeah, pretty much sums up my childhood. So being my curious self, I've always wanted to have a paranormal experience. Maybe not seeing a black-eyed child at the end of my bed, but you know what I mean. I've had uncertain and questionable encounters before, but nothing that has ever left me fully convinced. That was until something happened that I know in my heart of hearts was the real deal. It started by me moving into my Opa and Oma's home. Just to preface, they had both passed six months apart and one month before I moved in. When my Opa passed, it really hit me hard. He was the first loved one I had ever lost and he was one of the most amazing people I had ever known. One night after I had moved in, it was quiet. All you could hear was the ticking of the cuckoo clock, along with all the bumps and creaks older houses make. 
For me, living alone, by myself, for the first time, it was pretty overwhelming. It was also the first time being back at their home after the funerals. My opa had a designated spot at the island where he would play his card games on his laptop and gaze out the window. Off the kitchen was the living room, where both my opa and oma's recliner chairs remained side by side facing the TV. When I got tired of unpacking, I thought I'd make myself a snack and watch some Netflix. As I was sitting in my opa's recliner, the episode ended. As the next one was loading, I heard a loud exhale coming from behind me. Of course, I thought I was imagining it, so I froze and listened again. And sure enough, I heard another loud inhale and exhale. I turned around and nothing. At first, I was like, whoa, what just happened? Then I had an overwhelming sense of calm wash over me. That was him. That was his loud, distinguishable grandfather breath I've heard time and time again. For me, it sounded like he was back at his spot, sitting in his chair by the window. I like to think that was his way of letting me know that he was okay and that he was okay that I was in his space now. Or maybe he was telling me to get the fuck out of his chair. I'm just glad that he didn't appear to me as a full body apparition. I love you gramps but uh, fuck that. Now I can finally say I've had my own paranormal story to tell and from someone who shaped me into the person that I am today. Okay that is a pretty okay paranormal experience. I mean it's not ideal but it's okay. And I totally understand when people are like, I want to have a paranormal experience, but can it be a nice one that it's not too scary? Because I think most people listening to this podcast want to have a defining experience so they get an answer one way or another. And a nice big inhale and exhale, that's what we need. That's nice. Your opa sounds like a very calm and understanding man, even in the afterlife. Because I can tell you, my dad is very much alive. But if anybody sat in his chair after he was gone, He'd go all full poltergeist on that shit and hoist them out of the chair for sure. Story number three comes from Will and Denise. My name is Wilma and my daughter is Denise and she's 17. We live in a former school. It was empty for a few years and now they've made apartments of the school building. We live in a former classroom. My bedroom is on the street side and I like to go to bed early before 10 and I wake up early too. It was a summer evening and I went to bed early. I like to sleep with the window open for some fresh air. I woke up in the middle of the night and the sun was already coming out. There was a voice calling my name. Wilma. Wilma. Hey Wilma. I woke up because somebody called me from outside and I could hear a crappy old bike passing by. Suddenly this person who called my name hit the brakes and I could hear the wheels blocking and making a screeching sound. It was a man who stopped his bike and he said out loud, Hey Wilma, you're awake. This gave me such a scary feeling because you can't see my window when passing by on a bike. There are huge trees blocking the view from the street to my window and I have black sun-blocking roller blinds and we live on the third floor. There was no way anybody could see or hear me waking up scared the shit out of me and I did not want to look outside the window. Another thing that happened to me was when I was at home. My daughter had some friends at our house. They went outside on the ground floor to smoke a cigarette. We live on the third floor. 
I was sitting on the toilet when I heard a two-time knock on the door of the toilet. I didn't answer because I thought, hey, I'm doing my thing, leave me alone. You can see the toilet is taken for a few minutes. Then I heard, for a second time, two knocks on the toilet door. I listened carefully because I never heard any footsteps coming. Maybe that's why I didn't answer to the knock. So after a few minutes, my daughter's friend came up to the front door. I just came out of the loo, washed my hands, and she was outside the front door taking off her shoes. I asked her, Did you just knock on the toilet door, twice? No, she said, we were outside smoking. The others are downstairs. But something knocked on my toilet door. There was no footsteps, no other sound, just something knocking on my toilet door. My sister died a few years ago. Her daughter and granddaughters were at our home for a visit. I like to cook and eat together at the dining table. We were talking and laughing, when suddenly I got poked in the back. I didn't think much of it until I realised there was nobody behind me. Maybe it was my sister to let us know, hey, I'm here too. Another time, me and my daughter heard footsteps in the hallway, sometimes with shoes on and sometimes barefoot. And when we took a look, there was nobody there. We started to burn sage and told the ghost to leave because this is a house with a lot of love in it and only love is welcome. We have never heard the footsteps again. Haunted schools are just such a thing. I know it's obviously not a school now and it's been converted into um, apartment buildings. But I wonder if it's like the residual energy of a child or the energy of a child that's trying to be a little bit playful. Like knocking on the door poking you in the back or maybe that was your sister just being like hey I'm here the little footprints footsteps rather with shoes on and sometimes barefoot that all sounds very childlike to me thing that doesn't sound childlike is uh, the man calling your name from the street on the bike fuck that I don't know why that freaked me out more than anything else in this story and it did make me think that I need to change my ways when I walk home from my local Nick from the Poisoner's Cabinet His house is on my path on the way home. His bedroom window looks out onto the street and his window is always open. And on the rare occasions that he's not with me, when I'm walking by, even if I'm on my own, I do this. I go, Nick, Nick, Nick. Every time. We've never really addressed it. But then there was one time that I did it. I was with my friend and we were doing it. And when we turned back around further down the street, Nick was standing at his door really angrily. So maybe I should stop doing that. You know, the worst thing about the man shouting your name outside the window is that it was potentially not paranormal. That's the, that's the scariest thing for me, is when these stories have the potential to be real people. That makes them more terrifying, I think. And story number four comes from Alva. I've heard many a tale from your listeners regarding the man in the hat and all have been pretty much horrendous. I wanted to send you my experience which having listened to previous tales may give a different perspective. So to start this conversation I want to give you some insight into my family. I grew up in 1980s Ireland. Very Catholic. My mother and father are opposites. My mum the devout Catholic and my father the atheist. Mum didn't entertain any ghost other than the Holy Spirit and my father considered anyone who believed in religion or ghosts, demons, etc., all as batshit as the other. My grandfather was a very religious man. When our house was built in the wilds of the countryside, 
he replaced crucifixes in the foundations to protect us. And there wasn't a room that didn't have some sort of glowing red sacred heart. The devil hid in corners. We had to bless ourselves going in and out of the house. All of that crack. I was the youngest of three. My brother and sister were five and six years older than me. So I was very much the little one. My sister and I shared a room with two single beds at opposite sides of the room. Our house was in the countryside, with zero light at night other than the moon. We were surrounded by fields, and our house was on a little boring that one car could fit down at a time and the nearest neighbour was across the field. As I said, my sister and I shared a room, and my sister had regular sleep paralysis, horrific nightmares and terrors. If anyone was haunted in her sleep, it was her. She would cry after and say something goblin-like with foul-smelling breath held her down in bed. She would try and move but couldn't. She would feel someone brush her face with claw-like fingers and she awoke many times to see someone sitting on the end of her bed and she would feel them crawl up her body and she would be unable to move. As her little sister, all I could do was get up into the bed beside her and hug her. I never had any of these experiences. My mother would say that she was dreaming and leave it at that. After one particularly bad night, I remember lying in bed, hearing her cry herself back to sleep and wishing with all my childlike might that I could somehow help and protect her. Childish, wishful thinking. Or was it? Soon after, my sister said her terrors changed. That they were there, but she had some sort of control over them. That they weren't as bad somehow. One night we both woke. I'm going to say at the same time because that was what it felt like. Standing at the bottom of our beds was what I can only describe as the hat man. He was as tall as the ceiling, a wide-brimmed hat, and he was darker than the night. He was like a solid shadow. No face as such, but to me he was looking at me and to my sister, and he was looking at her. My sister asked, Can you see him? To which I replied, Yes. She then asked me if I was okay and I told her I was. I knew that whoever or whatever this was, it was here to protect us. We both had an overwhelming feeling of safety and went back to sleep. The next morning it was kind of forgotten, but not really. Neither of us spoke about it, but I knew it had happened and just didn't mention it because it was as normal as anything. Over the years, the man in the hat came to us both, always at the same time. We would both wake we would speak to each other and then we would nod off back to sleep. I was never once afraid, never once thought we were in danger. The strange thing is my sister's night terrors all but stopped around the time he showed up. Years passed and we grew up. My sister got married and moved out. The visits from the man in the hat were few and far between at this stage of our lives and I often wondered if we made him up. One day, her new husband made a joke about how none of us warned him of our nightmares and how she would wake terrified at night, screaming that something was sitting on her chest. Her night terrors have continued in some form or another ever since. To this day, she has never seen the hat man again. However, I have. Over the years, and strangely enough, never at night, I've caught glimpses. I saw him a lot when my firstborn was little. She was born very sick. When she was little, I would catch glimpses in mirrors or windows in the hospitals. I would see the distinctive shape, but on a second glance it was gone. Once after a particularly long and gruelling stint in hospital with my girl, I fell asleep at the wheel on the way home with her in the car with me. 
My car went to the other side of the road, me asleep at the wheel. I jolted awake in time to save us from oncoming traffic. And the first thing that came to my mind was this figure. Now I didn't see it. No glimpses, no shadows, but clear as day in my mind was the figure. I pulled into the side of the road. I wasn't as panicked as I should have been, I was calm. I knew somehow, yet again, I'd been protected, for want of a better word. Until I heard your listener stories, I always assumed this hat man, whatever he is, a figment of my imagination, my own survival instinct, something I'd manifested in my head or something, was a good entity. Maybe like everything else, there's good and bad. Maybe my grandfather's crucifixes really did protect us. Maybe I'm as batshit as my atheist father thinks anyone with these experiences are. But I know my childhood experiences have also manifested as an adult. And I like to think there's someone or something looking out for me. Hatman. Ah! Saviour of the children. Ah! Good on you, Hatman, in this instance. We like a story where Hatman redeems himself, does some good in the world. And it really does sound like you have some sort of guardian angel. Because you could easily say, like you said, you know, your sister had night terrors. She was seeing goblins. She was seeing all sorts of things at night time. And they are very clearly night terrors. But you both saw the hat man. And you both seeing the hat man makes me think that maybe it was something that you, like a guardian angel, that you called upon, you know, because I would hate to see my sister struggling at night time, struggling to sleep, like waking up crying, being devastated. Oh, I, you know, you'd, you just wouldn't want to see it, you'd hate it. So you would be lying there thinking, please, there has to be some way to protect her. There has to be some way to make this stop. And guess what? Turns out it was the hat man. And he was there when your Wayne was really sick. And when you've had near misses, maybe he's your guardian angel. And story number five comes from KC. My parents grew up in southwest Donegal between the wars, and I've always had great stories to keep us enthralled as kids. My mom always had a special devotion, like many others, to St. Thrays. Lots of our family could cite instances of praying for St. Thrays' intercession and being overcome with the smell of roses. But what really struck me was a story my dad told. Although a devout Catholic, he wasn't given to folklore or the supernatural. He was very educated and worked as a structural engineer in the nuclear industry. Occasionally, he would go on work trips during construction or renovation of nuclear plants across the States. He didn't care for travelling, but one week in the mid-80s he was looking forward to one trip because he was going to see an old colleague he hadn't seen in years and he really enjoyed working with them. He arrived the night before and was getting ready to relax at his hotel, watch Carson and fall asleep. When someone knocked on his door... This was odd because there was no reason for it, but he definitely heard it, so he got up and looked through the peephole, but there was nobody there. It must have been someone knocking on a door near his and he misheard it. He laid back down. A few minutes later, knock, knock, knock. This time, for sure, it was definitely someone knocking on his door. He jumped up and opened the door straight away. Not a soul. His room was in the middle of the corridor and the hall was empty. After arriving at the worksite the next morning, he asked where his old friend was. I'm sorry, Pat, didn't you hear? He had a heart attack and died last night. My dad wasn't an emotional person, but he told us that story as soon as he got back home, and no doubt about it, it shook him to his core. 
So St. Therese is a saint in Catholic Ireland who is very specifically venerated and uh, lots of people pray to her and whatever. And there are lots of instances around people's deaths where people say that they smell roses. A friend of mine had a relative who died in the house and they knew that particular relative was dying. They were dying for a long time. So all of the family were in the house on the night that this relative died. And the stories that came out of that house that night blew my mind. Stories of voices, stories of multiple members of the household smelling roses at different points. Really, really strange stuff. And again, we have knocking, which seems to be indicating somebody's death very, very clearly. And it obviously shook your dad because if he's an atheist and just doesn't believe at all, then he would have dismissed it if he had thought there was a normal, rational, natural explanation for it. And story number six comes from Kerry Joy. I've thought about submitting to the podcast for a long while now, but I honestly wasn't too sure where to start. I've had a lot of experiences, but after a few recent episodes, I thought I'd share something a little different. I live in a haunted house, and I love it. Granted, I have been here for my old 23 years of living, so I suppose I'm used to all the little weird things that happen here. It's an old cottage in the southeast of England. As far as I know, the oldest parts of it go back about 200 years. It's one of those houses that moves and creaks at night. It expands in the heat and during the winter the drafts are as strong as breezes. It's got character though. I assume that's why my parents bought it in the early 90s. Things have been happening here since they moved in, which isn't too surprising considering my mum was a medium. Details on that are another story altogether, but it's important to note that most of the women on her side of the family are sensitive to some ghostly activity. Regardless, my dad's a complete sceptic, but even he has a few stories to tell. Such as one morning, shortly after moving in, they came downstairs to find every single cupboard in the kitchen open, tea towels and cutlery strewn about, and no signs of anyone having entered the house. All the doors still locked and bolted. Around the time when my sister was born, was when my mum started seeing the girls. Two Victorian girls that supposedly share our home. They would appear and disappear quite quickly, appear to be sisters and are very mischievous. She would catch glimpses of them. Sometimes she would see them in her bedroom at night, but it didn't bother her. They were just children, no negative energy whatsoever. When my sister was little, my mum would put her down for a nap in her crib, only to hear her giggling away ten minutes later. My mum would go into the room and see my sister laughing at nothing. My sister would lift her arms and demand to be picked up so she could look around the room and under the crib until she saw there was nobody else there. Half an hour later it would happen again and then four years later when I was born the same thing happened with me. When I was a little older as you can guess with most ghost stories with children I had an imaginary friend. I called her Jessica but I'm pretty sure that wasn't actually her name. I don't remember her very well, I don't remember much of being a kid, but I remember having tea parties with her and babbling away for ages. I also remember getting in trouble for things I said Jessica did. I don't have any evidence that Jessica was an actual ghost, but when I think of all the other experiences, I think it's important to note. As with most kids, I grew out of talking to Jessica, and eventually nearly altogether forgot about her. I remember hearing my mum in the kitchen one day saying, Okay, enough now. I'm going to get something from upstairs and when I'm done, I expect them back. I asked her what she was talking about, 
thinking I was the one in trouble again. She explained that she had lost her reading glasses and suspected the girls had moved them. I asked why I couldn't see or hear the girls and she smiled at me and said, they don't want to frighten you probably. Maybe when you're older they'll pop up. Things going missing is a constant in this house and when there's no obvious perpetrator, I usually first blame the cats, then the dog, then the girls. Having remembered my mum doing this a lot, I'll often say, can I have this back now please? And most of the time it'll turn up in a place I was certain I had checked. I always say thank you too. When my cousin on my mum's side was in university, she often came to stay because we were closer than the rest of her family. We eventually turned the office into a little space for her, but the first few times she stayed in my sister's room while she was away, my sister's room was in the attic, which, yes, did used to scare me when I was little, but she turned it into a very cosy place with fairy lights and printed out pictures along one of the walls. My cousin was up there the first night looking at those photos of my sister and my family and her friends when out of the corner of her eye she saw me sat at the top of the stairs that lead up to the room. She said something along the lines of these are great aren't they? And after I didn't reply she turned again and saw that it wasn't really me at the top of the stairs at all but one of the girls. She said she had long hair and was wearing a little pinafore dress. She gave her a smile and when my cousin blinked again, she was gone. I suspect that they were just intrigued by the new person in the house. Throughout this, up until now, we have had normal haunted house stuff. The things that happen in the beginning of movies before things get out of hand. Things being moved, doors and windows opening after being shut, cats and dogs staring or making noises at empty spaces. Sometimes I hear my name being called when no one is home. I'll hear someone walking up the creaky stairs to find there's no one there or catch shadows or things out of the corner of my eye. There have been some more unpleasant occasions, but most of the time it feels completely fine. That's when I assume it's the girls. My mum unfortunately passed away very suddenly when I was 16, leaving the house to me and my sister. For some reason since then I felt a little like I've had some responsibility towards these girls. The atmosphere of the house obviously changed a lot after my mum died. She was a very social person and had lots of spiritual friends that would be there often. And while the house never feels empty, never, even when I'm the only living creature in it, it certainly did feel quiet. So I've taken over from my mum in some ways. I'll call out hello and goodbye when I'm coming and going. When I hear something fall or bang and can't quite find the cause, I'll say, yes, hello, I know you're there. I'll play music, vibrant, happy stuff because I feel like they like that and sing along because for some reason I can't express I feel like they like that too. On a final note, more recently I've been reading about honouring spirits in a more traditional way. I decided before I went away a week ago that I would leave something for them. I picked two snowdrop flowers and three blossoms growing in my garden and left them on my dresser. I said very clearly, Hi girls, I'm off, but first I'm leaving these for you. I hope you like them. I thought they were very pretty. I'll move them when I'm home, but enjoy them for now. When I got back, one of the blossoms was gone. That night, a remote control that had been missing for over a year appeared on a shelf in the office and a bottle of perfume that I had lost for nearly as long was suddenly on my desk. I think they just wanted a little attention. And hey, I would too. Oh, I love this so much. 
the idea that if you have a benevolent haunting, that you know it's benevolent, you know it's two little girls, people have seen them, they do sort of mischievous, silly things. Just recognising them and going, hey, I see you. Here's a little offering for you. Where did the blossom go? You know, where did it go? Where do ghosts keep all the things that they steal? Please explain that to me. Do they hide them in different places around your house? In places that you'll never find? Or is there like a ghost bureau full of rows and rows and rows and rows of filing cabinets that are all meticulously filed items missing from the houses of living people? I would not want to work in that bureau. It sounds like a lot of work, actually. Sounds like a lot of admin. I take it back. Thank you so much for listening to today's stories. Thank you to Melina, Jamie, Will and Denise, Alva, KC and Carrie Joy for sending in your stories. The last story came from March the 4th, 2022. And if you would like to learn anything about Real Life Ghost Stories, you can do so by checking out reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can also sign up to patreon.com forward slash Stories if you are desperate for extra content. There's heaps of extra content all there and also every main episode and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time.